Maybe that should be our homework too. You're not digging that, are you? <laughs> okay. In his book, The Sunflower, Simon Weisenthal writes about his experience in a Jewish concentration camp. Now, as you read this book, you hear things that you would probably think are typical, maybe typical things you've heard about Jewish concentration camps, and certainly other things that you probably didn't think of or didn't think possible in one of these camps. Unique to his experience, and the reason why the book was written, though, is is an uh, interaction he had with a Nazi uh, soldier. One day as he's going out, like he usually does, in line, humiliated, and so on and so on, he gets called by a Nazi soldier who is on his deathbed. And the Nazi soldier wants to ask him for forgiveness. Now, as you read the book, as a reader, you're inclined to ask the question, what would you do? What would you say? And really half the book, the last half of it, are all responses from other people responding to the story and considering what they would do in that kind of situation. Now, typically, I don't like these kinds of what-would-you-do scenarios because, one, I've never been in a Jewish concentration camp. I don't know what I would do. And even sometimes, you know, we, 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 we put scenarios in our mind, man, if this ever happens to me, this is what I'll do. When honestly, we don't really know. Maybe we would. Maybe we wouldn't do that thing that we've said we would do. And while Simon's story might seem a little far outstretched, maybe something obviously none of us would ever have to experience from now on, it does help us think about the things that we face on a day-to-day basis where we really have to make the same kind of choices that he did. What are you going to do the next time someone lies to you? Are you going to trade a lie for a lie? What about the next time time somebody calls you a blankety blank, 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 blanket? How are you going to respond then? What about the next time somebody hurts you? How are you going to respond? What about the next time you see injustice? What about the next time you see something that you know is wrong? What are you going to do? All of us have these scenarios that we find ourselves every single day where we do have to make decisions about what kind of people we are going to be. Now, God comes along, and we say we're God's people, so we probably have to pay attention to this, but God comes along and says, you must be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then Jesus doesn't help us any, doesn't he? He comes along and says, you got to be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. How's that holy and perfect stuff working for you? Well, maybe not. But maybe so. Maybe we're just thinking about it wrong. These two words have really gotten twisted for us quite a bit. So much so that we don't understand a lot of what's really going on in this call to be holy and call to be perfect. 
You shall be holy. For us, that word holy generally gets translated into some kind of holier than thou kind of being, right? Where if somebody accuses you of being holy, what they're saying is you're sort of like a religious snob, right? You look down because you've got it good and you know right from wrong and you just you just one of those people that God really loves. You just holy, right? Wrong. Holy is supposed to mean this idea of being set apart, right? Set apart for God's purposes. Think about in your pews. We have a pew Bible. Or maybe you brought a Bible. We have Bibles called what? The Holy Bible. Now, that holiness is not about being righteous or better than anything else. It's about being set apart. When we have the Holy Bible, we, what we are saying about those words, it's not that the words themselves are righteous. The words are just words on some paper. But what we are saying is that these words are set apart from other words we've come to know. And these words have a purpose for God and for us. So that we can say, we are to be holy in the same way. And this idea about being perfect, oh, come on, Pastor John, nobody's perfect. Of course, I say, well, that's the problem. Maybe we are and we just don't know it. Maybe we're moving towards perfection like our friend John Wesley told us and we just don't realize it. But again, this idea is wrong. We have this idea that being perfect means being without sin, or being somebody who doesn't sin. Good luck with that. It's not what the word means. The word really has more to do with purpose and goal and fulfilling that purpose. When Matthew talks about Jesus being on the cross, it is finished. He uses the same word here. This idea about having some kind of completion, some kind of purpose fulfilled. So if we're called to be holy, set apart, and we're called to be perfect, having this purpose, what we need to do is ask ourselves still, what does that mean? Because it's easy to say, well, I think I know what holy means, and I think I know that perfect stuff. I can't do that. I'll just brush it away. But now that you know the difference and what that really means, now we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be holy and perfect? We have to realize that we are called to be these things, holy and perfect, first, because God is these things. Does that come out right? God is these things. Didn't make sense when I wrote it on paper either. But you know what I mean? <laughs> he is these things. Say that four times fast and see where it gets you. God is these things. But what we're looking at is that God demonstrates these things. We can see these things in God. And as God's people... This is what we are supposed to be as well. For example, if we look at the text from Leviticus, what we see is that God has this crazy love, this radical compassion, and this total commitment for other people. And these words, if you were listening, are all about our relationships with each other. Let me just run over a few of them for you real quick. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes, but you shall leave them for the poor and the alien. 
See, you do these things for somebody else, the poor and the alien. Oh, God, but what if they're illegal, right? (laughs) I'll leave it alone, but (laughs) you can guess where I'd go with it. But what about this? You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep for yourself the wages of the labor until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer. You shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. Hello. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin, your neighbors. You shall reprove your neighbor. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These words are all about our relationships with each other. And what we see in these words, God puts these words first. I am holy. And this is how God explains holiness. So what we see is this radical love and commitment to other people that God has. And we have to see that it matters how we treat each other. It matters how we treat our neighbors, and it matters to God. Now realize this is just a, this isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't just sort of 101 ways to make sure you're being holy. If you got this, you got it down. This is, these are just examples that show us the, the kind of commitment that we have to have for each other. It's about us having the same kind of love and concern for other people that God has. And that, for us, is part of what it means of being holy. It's not about having some kind of religious observances, some kind of things that we do. If you read the Old Testament so many times, God says, you know, I'm not concerned with these little things you do in church. I'm concerned about the way you treat other people and how you let things go for other people. And we have to be careful because we have religious observances today, don't we? We have things like communion and baptism. And we can get so fixated on those things that we can neglect the other as well. And so we see the word is the same for us even today. Be holy just as I am holy. And just so you don't think we get off the hook, Jesus builds on this idea. This love for other people and the way it's arranged. I wish it was done the other way. It would be a lot easier. But this whole loving your neighbor thing, loving your enemies, that's about loving each other. And if we don't have that same kind of love and concern and compassion for the other, then there's no way we're going to want to do what Jesus is fixing to show us how to do. Now, many of us are learning that in this part from the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying is not all that's being said. Does that make sense? For example, this whole turn-the-cheek deal, for so many people, turn-the-cheek has meant, well, if somebody wrongs you, you just turn around and let them wrong you again. You don't say anything. You don't want to cause trouble. You just want to bear it, grit and bear it, and then go on. The problem with that is that it does not address what is wrong with the relationship. 
And as we've already seen, our relationships with each other matter. And our relationships with each other matter to God. And so we are not rebuilding that relationship of all. We just turn the other cheek in that sense. How we treat each other matters to God. What Jesus is doing, I think, is showing us how to handle when our relationships get damaged. And what I mean by damage is, you know, anything can damage a relationship. Certainly things like injustice and oppression. But certainly our words can damage a relationship. Certainly the actions we do, the attitudes we have, all these things can damage the relationships that we have. And what Jesus is showing us is how to expose what is wrong in our relationships. In a way, you could say that Jesus is showing us how to demonstrate against what is wrong with the relationships that we have with each other. Because that is part of what we do for each other. We expose what is wrong so that we can make it right. So, for example, and I may have gone through this with some of you, but bear with me. This whole idea about turning the other cheek. Jesus says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, you turn the other also. Let's go through this in our minds, right? And this is nothing original to me, but let's go through this in your minds. If I'm going to hit you on the right cheek, chances are I have to use which hand? Left hand. Now, if we were in this time and culture, we would know that doing something like that with your left hand is it's not acceptable. It's not something we do. So just scratch that hand out. So now I'm only left to hit you on your right cheek with my right hand. And use your imagination. If I'm going to try to use my right hand to hit you on your right cheek, it's going to look pretty weird, okay? Unless I have my hand open and I can get you on your right cheek like that. Now, imagination, TV, what does this represent? Sort of a disrespect kind of thing, right? This is the slap that the master gives to the slave in some cultures that the husband gives to the wife or the parents to the kids. It's meant to enforce this relationship of authority. But Jesus says, if somebody hits you on your right cheek, turn the other one also. And as soon as you do that, what you are making the other person do, if they want to hit you again, they have to hit you with some respect. They're going to hit you fine. But when they hit you this time, what they have to realize is that you are just as good as they are. God has made you good just as God has made them good. Or take this other example. If someone sues you for your coat, if you get sued, where are you going? court, right? So here you are in the court, right? And somebody's suing you for that coat. Boy, it must be a nice coat. Jesus says, well, give them your coat. Give them your cloak, too. And really what Jesus is saying, give them everything you have on. And as you stand there naked in the courtroom, it's not you that's embarrassed. It's the one who made you take it all off. And so what you are doing is showing the greed of that person. You are exposing, pardon the pun, you are exposing you are exposing the breakup in that relationship. You are exposing what is wrong with that relationship. 
Well, this whole mile business, it's, it wasn't uncommon for people in these villages as the Roman soldiers were coming to flee and to scatter because they knew that the Roman soldier would come along. If he's tired, he's not feeling well, if he just wants to put you in your place, he would take his stuff off and make you carry it. Walk a mile with him. Jesus says if someone makes you walk a mile, go another mile. Now, what is Jesus saying? He has given you another way to expose that person's force on you. Because if you walk the other mile with that person, you are showing them something. Only one mile is permitted. And if you, they make somebody else go another mile, guess who's in trouble then? They are. But you have found a way to expose what's wrong in this relationship. And that is what matters to God. One theologian says that here Jesus is showing us how to fight evil without being transformed against the very thing we are working against. It's very Romans 12:21. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's knowing how to restore the relationships that God has given to each one of us, but to do it in a way where we are not following suit with what's wrong with the relationships. Now, I'm not asking for your political opinion, all this stuff about what's going on in Wisconsin, but you know what's going on in Wisconsin, right? Teachers, teachers have been told if they want to protest what's going on, and in their protest, they decide to skip work, they will not get paid. That is what it is. But doctors are working with teachers there's a group of doctors, large group of doctors that said, if anyone wants to protest what's going on, come to my office and I'll write you a sick note that you can give to the school. See, it's a way to confront the evil, to confront what they think is wrong in a way that doesn't buy into it and make them and overwhelm them into it as well. What we see Jesus doing is showing us this alternative lifestyle that goes against everything probably we've ever been taught about how to stick up for ourselves and how to be a man and how to do things according to the world. Now we are talking about what it means to love our neighbors. And I'm suggesting to you that the way we love our neighbors is by being holy and perfect being set apart for God's purpose and finding fullness in that and loving all of your neighbors, no matter who your neighbors might be. Have a concern for them the way God does. Protect them the way God would. And of course, in the grand social scheme of things, when we think about political oppression, and we think about all those kinds of things, and we understand how we could find ourselves a part of some of those things. But then we got to break it down for us because we realize that we live normal lives every single day. So then we have to ask ourselves the question again, what am I going to do the next time somebody calls me that blankety-blank-blank-blank again? Will I call them a blankety-blank-blank-blank-blank? 
Well, I decided to do something different. What about when somebody wrongs me in a very hurtful way? Will I retaliate in a very hurtful way as well? Or will I be different, holy, and set apart? What about when I see what I know is wrong? Will I just, I'm glad it's not me, and be on my merrily way? Or will I be that holy person God is calling me to be? Friends, that is the question for each one of us. What will you do? Pray with me. A loving God, we cannot ignore the goodness that you show to each one of us. We are grateful for the ways that we can look at your hand in our lives, for the ways that we can know that you are indeed walking with us. So we thank you, God, for your promise to always be with us. We thank you, God, that you love us enough to care for us and to provide for us. Now, as your holy, set-apart people, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to offer and to live out that same love for the people you put in our lives, all of our neighbors, those that are so easy to love, and even those we have to think twice about. Give us the courage, give us the faith, and give us the reminder of whose we are. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.